That's right. The Lord has his ways. And even when we don't understand them, and it it was interesting you mentioned that missionary aspect because I was talking to a a Baptist missionary who had been in Russia and then he ended up in Armenia. I'm not sure where he is currently, but I asked him, I said, how'd you end up in Armenia? You know, he said that he realized as he was doing some ministry in Russia and Armenians were present, he said, man, because of the genocide, you guys are everywhere. (laughs) He said, if I could minister to the Armenians, that truth could get to a lot of places just by virtue of ministering to them. Welcome to the Every People's Podcast, where we share our stories family style. Here on the show, we dish out Christ and culture as a taste of the Every People's worship in Revelation 7. This season, we're speaking with ministry leaders in the San Fernando Valley, home to over 2 million residents and hundreds of uniquely diverse churches. I'm your host, Tom Sugimura, and our guest today is Jason Matosian. Jason is the pastor of preaching at Mount Ararat Bible Church. He has academic degrees from UCLA, the Talbot School of Theology, and a PhD in church history from Fuller Theological Seminary. But far from being really smart, he's a good friend and all-around wonderful guy. Jason, welcome to our podcast. Thanks, Tom, for having me. Jason, let's start off. Tell us a bit about yourself, your family, uh, what you're doing in your current ministry context. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm pastor of preaching at Mount Ararat Bible Church. Uh, my wife and I have been married now 16 years, uh, and we have two children, uh, a boy who's almost 13 and a daughter who's uh, 10. And uh, we've been in Northridge now ministering for the last six years. Mm. And uh, and it's been a, an exciting ride uh, to be in the valley. We used to minister in a church in Hollywood, so uh, a little bit different. Yeah, different culture, different climate. But we're glad you're yep. in the valley. Gave us a chance to meet you. Yep. Um, how do you balance all of those different roles and responsibilities? Being a pastor, being a family man for your wife and kids. What are some ways that you've been able to find that balance? That's a good question. When I figure it out, uh, you can invite me back to explain. No, <laughs> I mean, honestly, just being aware and uh, making sure that we put up the, the proper boundaries. I've uh, been growing a lot recently in time management. So I think that's uh, that's helpful uh, to make sure. I mean, especially when uh, and you know this, when you're writing your dissertation and, and doing the academic work, mm-hmm. when you have little children, you have to make some important decisions to stop working when you otherwise would want to continue mm. uh, so that you could be with that, with the family and make sure that you're not missing out on those important opportunities. Yeah. 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 There's always ministry to do always things to write, but the, the family keeps growing up. So. That's right. <laughs> so that's, that's important. And we hear the horror stories of uh, pastor's kids. So we, we, we do mm. our best and really rest in the grace of God uh, mostly. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I, I pray for pastors like you and others in the Valley is, is for your families, for your marriages, yeah. for your children. Cause uh, yeah, I, I know the pressures myself. And so I'm yeah. grateful for that. Um, well, I, I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but um, tell us about your spiritual journey. Um, how did you first come to Christ? Uh, how did you uh, find yourself called into pastoral ministry? What were some of the key points along the way? Yeah. Great question. Uh, I was thinking about this. I talked to my kids about this and and they, they tell me I have a very boring testimony, uh, uh, partly because, and, and like them, you know, the, I grew up in a, in a Christian household, a faithful Christ centered household. My, my father's also a minister. 
uh, my my eldest brother is also a pastor and we just surrounded my grandparents were godly people and so just surrounded by the gospel surrounded by the truth and uh, grew up learning it studying it and i believe pretty early on uh, came to trust it and uh, know the lord pretty early on and i, I remember just to understanding my need for Christ, my, my need for a savior, my sinfulness, mm. um, fast forward through junior high, high school years th throughout that time, uh, just kind of growing up in that environment. I was the one, I, I'm one of four brothers. Uh, so I was the one, I think that thought from day one that I, I might be called to pastoral ministry. And so early on, the joke was, I, I, I was asked, I think at age five or six, you know, what are you going to do in the future? What do you want to be? And I said, I want to be a, a, a chef during the, sorry, not a chef, excuse me. I, I want to be a, a, a crook uh, on uh, during the <laughs> week uh, uh, and, and the pastor on the, on the weekends. I thought I meant cook. I said cook yeah. instead. So, uh, <laughs> not, not the same thing. <laughs> not quite the same, not yeah. quite the same. But uh, so we, growing up, I, I had this sense that maybe, maybe God was calling me, but not certain I started college with the mindset of doing law school. Mm. So my goal was to go to law school, wanted to serve the Lord uh, somehow, but wasn't certain that he had called me to pastoral ministry at that time yet, though I had that inkling. I actually, prior to graduating um, my undergrad, I and had, had a, I applied to law schools and was planning, you know, uh, planning to attend in the fall. I had a, a real burden and sense that maybe God had called me uh, out of that to to pastoral work. So I pulled my dad aside, sat sat him down for lunch, and and he said, "You start law school." <laughs> so I said, "Well, are you sure?" He said, "No, let's 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 pray and trust that the Lord will make it really clear." Mm. And so I, I started law school, and within that semester, though I really enjoyed it, it was it was very similar to the kind of thinking I enjoy today, but. I just could not shake the the burden that, you know, God had given me a gift to teach and a desire to proclaim his gospel. And mm. um, so along the way, there are a lot, of, a lot of other parts to it where people encouraged me in the same way. But uh, once I got that sense after spending that semester praying, meeting with people, uh, my father was also in agreement and he totally endorsed the the change and, and, and then went off to Talbot after that. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, and, and so you started serving in the church. Uh, was that right out of, out of seminary? Did you find a church at that point? And then how did it work? Good question. Yeah. So, so I served along the way, even when I was a high school senior, I was running a junior high youth group uh, at the time that they had asked me to, and it was a joy. And then while in college, I was doing some youth pastoral work at a sister church to the church that my father was pastoring. When I left law school to start seminary. I got a call from what we might call the flagship church of our Armenian Evangelical Union at the time. And I had been praying, Lord, if you open up that door, uh, it seems like a very strategic place to do your work. And uh, sure enough, I get a call from their pa their their uh, Christian ed pastor at the time. That's what he was called. And would you be interested in part-time field work and youth pastoring? I, said, I would love to, but I probably should stop and pray about this too. Uh, you know, so 
you know, spend a little time praying and uh, was convinced. So I spent 15 years at that church after mm-hmm. that. Uh, but mm-hmm. so during my seminary training, I was also uh, in the church doing youth work. That's the church that I was at in Hollywood. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, now, I know that uh, many people uh, in our churches, uh, they've been going through a lot of a lot of trials uh, recently. Um, as a pastor, what what gospel truths bring you joy as you labor for the church, as, as you've seen uh, what ministry has taken place? What gospel truths bring you joy as a, as a pastor and as a leader? You know, I think the, the, the greatest joy comes from being able to proclaim grace, mm-hmm. that there is rest in Christ, that the the chaos around us the the burdens the panic the weariness um he's he wants to carry that for us and he has in christ and so that's been just the the place that i like to to stay in that kind of that zone and and try my best to help our people know the grace of god the the promises of god that this life this life that we're struggling through is is not the end and there's so much more, so much more that we cannot even fathom mm. that's been given to us and promised and it's a, it's guaranteed. And so try to keep our eyes focused where they ought to be and and rest in him and, and excited to one day be with him. Yeah. So that's encouraging. Uh, I like to hear from from pastors that have been in for a while and and have those um, encouragements for the church. Um yeah. But uh, you're also a big uh, fan, I don't know, fan, a student of church history. Um, and so your interest in church history has led you to the study of a man named James Owen. Um, yeah. Not John Owen, but James Owen. Right. <laughs> uh, can you tell us who he was and why he was important to the church? Yeah, not to be confused, like you said, with John Owen that everybody knows. And so when you tell them, I'm studying James Owen, they go, oh, he's great. I've read this and that. I'm like, no. And they're not um, related, right? They're not not, related. Okay. No, No, I I guess they both are Welsh background. So that's the closest uh, Mm -hmm. I could get to it. But so James Owen was a, a late 17th century, early 18th century Presbyterian pastor in England really in, in Wales for part of the time, and then also in, in England. And he was what I call, and what is called a, a moderate nonconformist. Mm. And that's important because at the time that he was living and ministering, uh, you were kind of at the tail end, the Puritans kind of had gone out. Really, Matthew Henry, who's a great friend, was a best friend really to James Owen, some people think he's the last Puritan. Others would dispute that uh, and say it was before that. But so it's, this is a tail end of that. And the Anglican church is really in charge in England. And anyone that was Baptist or Congregational or Presbyterian is really kept out of the mainstream. Mm. And until 1689, they weren't even technically allowed to worship in, in their churches. So uh, Owen James Owen was a, a moderate dissenter or nonconformist saying, hey, he was not going to be part of the Anglican church, but he believed that the Anglican church was still a true church. Mm. He, he didn't think he could have a regular fellowship in the church and be a member in the Anglican church because of a number of things. But 
theologically, he said, we're one and we need to show unity mm. to the world around us. Uh, he was very opposed to the Roman Catholic Church, but very much for what I call Protestant ecumenism, just saying, hey, we're one body of Christ, though we have some of these differences. Mm. So that's really the impact that he tried to have. Uh, he was in a number of debates, theological written kind of published debates um, on moderation, how we can show even uh, you know public unity at times though we're separate from one another on a regular basis. So yeah. at the beginning of the denominational issues, uh, he was one that was trying to still declare some sort of unity. Mm. So a lot of similar applications to today. I think so. And that's yeah. what drew me to him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tr mm -hmm. Trying to understand how we can, in, in this diversity of the Protestant kind of world, the evangelical world, how can we, show a public face of unity so that the world knows they are Christ's and they love mm -hmm. one another, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Would you, would you say he was successful in his attempts at uh, moderate dissension? That's a great question. Someone else recently asked me that and I was like, unfortunately, no, okay. <laughs> uh, not, yeah. not quite. Uh, at least really, he tried. <laughs> he tried. And, yeah. and you know how it is even today. And I don't mm -hmm. want to get off topic, but the poles are really strong and you've yeah. got this polarization and he was, he was at a place of what, what I write about as reasoned moderation. So he's not just trying to mm -hmm. compromise to keep mm -hmm. the peace. He's saying this peace matters to Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, our yeah. Lord has called us to this. And so how can we show it? And it's so easy to go these extremes and we mm -hmm. see it all the time. And, uh, and I'm sure I'm guilty of it too. I, I don't want to just accuse. I, I know it's easier to go to the extremes. Um, yeah. So to try and keep that balance is, is hard and That's it good. takes humility and hard work. So it didn't, it wasn't that successful, unfortunately. Mm, yeah. Well, you, you usually need both sides to enter into the conversation. Um, so that's, that yeah. makes it difficult. True. Uh, so, so talk, let's talk about the doctrinal differences without dividing over them. That's, that's the, whole idea of what he's getting at. Yeah, exactly. And and can't we celebrate the and focus on the areas that we strongly agree on, the gospel foundational truths? Mm. And and yes, and so he was not against denominational separation because he he had separated and he thought that's healthy for the purity of the church. Uh, but yeah. he said can't we show that we can worship together because there's only one uh triune god that we're worshiping? Mm, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about church history, um, who are some of the folks on your top 10 list of church history heroes? <laughs> I know it's hard uh, to pick uh, <laughs> yeah, from, from the top 10. Yeah. I, so I don't want to be cliche, but I, I'll start with Athanasius. Okay. And mm -hmm. and I'll say Athanasius to me is, a, is such a, and I haven't even done a lot of work studying him. I, I'd like to do some more work studying him, but from what I've read, to have the kind of um, character and courage in such a difficult, divisive time when it would be easy to compromise and just say, hey, you know what, uh, let's just go with some sort of compromise agreement on the Trinity. You're saying he's a different substance. We're saying he's the same substance. Let's go with similar substance, you know, with regard to the, the Trinity. And uh, and he, he wouldn't. He just knew how important that mm doctrinal truth was for the 
for the, the, the gospel and, and for the history of the church. So someone like him to stand up alone in some cases, yeah, that that's encouraging. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And Luther's not far behind, right? Luther's yeah. so similar in that, that he's kind of alone uh, and stands up against uh, the, the entire church in some mm-hmm. respects. And mm-hmm. that, that must've taken quite a bit of courage. The other thing about Luther that I love is uh, if you read Luther, it's almost like you're reading scripture because he's just constantly alluding to scripture. It's he's memorized. I, I, I get so jealous when I think about he had only been really a someone pursuing scripture for, you know, five, six years when he's writing some of these things that I've been in, in the word for <laughs> 30 plus years. And sure, yeah. there's no way I could write like him, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, Luther would be definitely a, another one that I, I look to and, and maybe Philip Henry, um, okay. maybe lesser known That's yeah. Matthew Henry's father. Okay. And he was a, a mentor to James Owen. And uh, really it had to do with that moderation again. He was one who had blazed the trail of moderation in some respects. He was one who would go and worship with the Anglicans, even after he'd been cast out of the uh, church as a Puritan. So I really appreciate his heart and the ministry he did. So, yeah, good, good. That's um, uh, a good number of heroes. Hopefully uh, um, some of our listeners will look up uh, some of those um, men and um, learn a little more about them. Uh, I yeah. want to spend some time talking about your church, though, um, sure. Mount Ararat Bible Church. Um, interesting name for church. Did you come up with the name? Uh, I, I believe I, I, I started this along the path of coming. To, okay. Uh, you know. All right. Now, now I, I know what the Bible is all about, but uh, Mount Ararat, <laughs> anything to do with Noah's Ark? What, what, where'd that come from? Great question. So we we knew when we were planting this church that um, because we had so many ethnic Armenians in our circle that we're going to be together, that we had a a burden on our hearts and a special ability we thought to reach Armenians, ethnic Armenians. Uh, but at the same time, we we didn't want to be in a church that really kept non ethnic folks out. Mm. And so we, we were wrestling with how, what to name ourselves. And it had to be something, because we know our own people and the culture of our people, it had to be something that they could relate to for them to even be willing to come. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we didn't want to put the word Armenian in the name of the church to keep yeah. everybody else out. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, Mount Ararat happens to be historically... Okay. In Armenia, <laughs> it's not currently in Armenia, but in historic <laughs> Armenia, yeah. um, and and it's something that our people, ethnic Armenians, strongly relate to and, and have an affinity toward. And so, as we were thinking about that, we said, "Man, if we if we put Ararat in our name, that will already be something that will open the doors for the Armenians, but it won't keep others out." Mm. We also went with Mount Ararat because we figured some people wouldn't even know what Ararat was. <laughs> so okay. when we put the mount in front, they at least they know, oh, okay. Um, and then we looked it up. Uh, we, we did a Google search and found that there are quite a few Mount Ararat churches in the Midwest and uh, in the South. So we said, okay, yeah. people will relate to it. Good, good, good. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, um, so the history of uh, MABC, uh, was it planted six years ago? Is, is that 
when it started? Yeah. So it's it's interesting that I, I ended up writing on moderation and denominational differences oh, yeah. um, because we're our, the history of our church is, is interesting. Uh, we're what we, we call a splant. Uh, oh, we, yes. we, we're a split plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we did split off of the ethnic Armenian church that I had served in for about 15 years. Um, we did our best to keep it as amicable as possible. Uh, there definitely were hard feelings and, and hurt feelings. Uh, but we, I, I've maintained the relationship with the pastor there, the senior pastor there and, and many others as well. Um, but we, we, for a variety of reasons, decided it was time to, to leave the church and we, we wanted to plant a church. And so we planted about six and a half years ago. And, uh, the Lord was really gracious because we, for a variety of reasons, things moved much more quickly than we expected. We did not expect to be out um, three weeks after I tendered my resignation. Yeah. <laughs> so we were uh, out in uh, April of 2015. Oh, and, wow. uh, okay. So thankfully, Paul Brown and his church opened up their doors to allow us to uh, meet on their campus. Bridge Bible Fellowship. The Bridge Bible Fellowship. Yeah, they they were so gracious as to open their doors to us. And so for six months, again, just free of charge from them, they, they mm. gave us a place to meet until we found our current location in, in mm. uh, Northridge. Oh, that's so, great. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, as, as you've been serving in the Armenian church uh, for that time and even longer, um, what are some of the unique contributions of the Armenian church when you think about it? You know, how, the, how do they, um, how do they impact kind of the wider church body? Yeah. So I'm not sure if you're familiar much uh, with, with uh, the history of the Armenian church in general, but the Armenian Ar- Armenians for the most part, 95% of us are Armenian apostolic or Eastern Orthodox. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's a very small portion. There's a, about 2%, I believe, are Armenian Catholic, Roman Catholic, and then about 2.5-3% maybe that are Armenian evangelical. Mm-hmm. So the the history of the Armenian church is is rich. There's a lot that, that's gone on. I'm actually currently studying on my own the the ancient Armenian language wow. to see if I could go back and, and read uh, some of the church Armenian church fathers and understand a little more about the, the culture. But... Um, there, one, one of the things that, that was important to the early Armenian Christians in the fourth century was the spread of the gospel. And so they helped uh, translate as many materials as they could and spread the gospel as, as far as they could. Mm-hmm. Later on in history, the Armenian evangelical movement was very much impacted by American missionaries, and they too wanted to start uh, you know, the, want to spread the gospel, what they would do is they would plant churches and schools. Mm. And so they always had, you, you'll, you'll find in Armenian culture, a lot of places, at least it's always a church and a school connected to the, to the church. Um, so that, that's something that was interesting to watch. And they believed in education quite yeah. a bit. Okay. Uh, yeah. In terms of the culture though, I would say that uh, loyalty and hospitality mm-hmm. have been very big uh, for our people. And so that hospitality has been good for the church, mm, uh, inviting yeah. all sorts of people in uh, to, to bring them in, to uh, welcome them and make friends, uh, whether they're Armenian or not. And mm-hmm. that's been a big thing. And 
I'm grateful our people in our current ministry location have that hospitality as well. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That fits in well with the the church ministry um, concept. So, what what does that look like? What is an Armenian party, Armenian hospitality? <laughs> what does that look like on a, on a if, if I if I'm an outsider coming in? How, how, what do I experience? Oh, Tom, I'm going to, I'm going to have to have an event and have you come actually yeah. and all the guys, but, uh, it looks like, um, food, food mm-hmm. and more food. What kind what kind of food is typical for Armenians? <clears throat> so w- because of the genocide, things have changed a little bit, obviously, but most of the Armenians that are in the circles I'm in are left Armenia proper historic Armenia and had mm. during, after the genocide had been forced out into the Middle East. Mm. <clears throat> so Lebanon, Syria, Egypt. And so we have a, a mix of a lot of the Middle Eastern foods, even like mm. the Greek cuisine. Yeah. And so there's going to be the kebabs and the, the hummus and the burregs, which is the cheese filled, you know, filo dough and mm. uh, those types of things. Uh, and we just, and lots and lots of it and lots yeah. and lots of it. And the other thing that you're going to notice is uh, we're very loud people. Okay. All right. They're, they want to talk. They want to dance. They want to laugh. Uh, I was joking with some, there were a few Armenian friends that I ran into at ETS this last year mm-hmm. uh, in November. And uh, we were sitting in the lobby of the hotel and by far we were the loudest group of people just, and I said, isn't it odd to you that we're the small group of Armenians, but we're louder than everybody else. And one of the people said, oh, don't you love it? <laughs> so, maybe That's I great. love it. I don't know That's if they great. love it. Yeah. But, yeah so okay. loud, laughter, dancing, yeah. celebration. That's good. That's good. Yeah. A lot of music and, and music, fun, food. good, great. Yeah. And that's how the, ch- would you say that's how church services are as well, or just the, the family home gatherings? Not at all. The church okay. is not like that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it was just funny because I, I wish it were a little more that way. Uh, sure. The church tends to be a little more reserved. Mm. Uh, now the Armenian Apostolic Church, I think maybe is one of the reasons why it was very traditional, mm-hmm. very reserved, uh, you know, but we're not we're not much different in, in that regard. We're our church personally, we're a little more casual, a little less formal. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's still, we, we joke. I I tell our congregation all the time. I don't think we know how to clap (laughs) because when pastor Haig invites us to clap during a song, uh, we are so far off. It's just, it's too much. So we're gonna have to take some (laughs) lessons, but anyway, there you go. There you go. Your church, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the specific church. Um, sure. How are you reaching the valley? How are you reaching this corner of the world for Christ? What are some things you're doing in ministry as a church? Yeah, we, we're um, we're talking a lot more about uh, doing outreach than, than ever. Actually, we were getting ready for a number of outreach opportunities when the pandemic hit and everything kind of got got mm-hmm. shut down. But one of the things we've been trying to do is have more of a presence on the CSUN campus. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because we're only about 
a block and a half away, two blocks away from CSUN. And mm. uh, so we were, we had a group out uh, once a week on campus, just asking anyone if they wanted prayer and if they wanted to, to talk and we invite them to our Bible study midweek where our college and career group and others would meet. So mm. that's one of the things we'd been doing. We try to do um, events at our campus that are open to the public, like our harvest festival during mm. uh, October, just to get people aware that we're here. We, we love you. We'd love for you to come and be a part of, of our congregation. Mm. We've sent out for, you know, our Easter events, we've sent out flyers to the neighboring or, or put flyers on homes and those kinds of things. But we're, we're trying to, to rethink what that might look like. So one of the things we're looking into now is there's a nearby rescue mission that really ministers to families in the valley Yeah. that, and it's not too far from our churches. And we thought if we could go and minister to those folks who are transitioning out of homelessness, mm, yeah. um, could we become a home for them in terms of the church? So uh, that's something else that we've been right now. Yeah. Our, our outreach director has been working on building inroads. So, Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's neat to see the, the unique ways that God gifts each church. Um, what are some of the unique gifts of the people in your church? As you, I mean, you can't talk about everybody I know, but uh, what are some of the, the unique people, the giftings, the, the things that you've seen as you've been a pastor there over the years? You know, we, we, we have a church that is very, um, in some ways this is good, in some ways it's bad. I think it might be intimidating for others, but in some ways we're a very educated church. Mm. And they're, they're all professionals, young professionals, uh, young family, professional families. And uh, so that, that obviously creates good things and bad things. One, the bad thing is, you know, we don't want that affluence to impact the the way we do worship. Now they're not that affluent, so don't get me wrong, uh, but, but they're educated and they're professional. Um, but they also like to meet needs. And mm. because of their ability, whether it's networking, connecting people to jobs, or even bringing them into their workplace and hiring, you know, younger people, we see mm. that a lot, which I think is a really nice way to to live life together as believers. Mm. But also, we see them meeting you know, with generosity. If a need arises, we've we've had missionary needs that have come up, and they're ready to open up their their pocketbooks and and give quickly. We did a fun. Uh, thing this uh, you know this past year in, in in last December we did a special packing event where we packed for Children's Hunger Fund. I'm, I think you're familiar yeah. with that mm -hmm. ministry. Sure. With a, a month to plan, our team comes to me and said, "Hey, we want to do a mega pack event where we bring in all the food and we pack over a thousand boxes. What do you think?" <laughs> wow. <laughs> I said, uh, "Okay, <laughs> why not? <laughs> you know, yeah. if you're willing." And so these are people that are professional, organized, and and mm. they they got it in less than a month, raised ten thousand dollars to to get all the foods delivered, and wow. then we packed over a thousand boxes in less than an hour and a half because of how well organized this team was. Oh, and great. we looked at each other. And we said, "Oh, three thousand next year, twenty five hundred. You know, <laughs> so, uh, so and these, these, the kind of these boxes are going to go to needy families in the valley. Um, yeah. and, and some of them you're going to deliver yourselves. So it's it's pretty neat to see that. It's an amazing ministry, and it was great to be able to be a partner with them in that 
Yeah. Mm. But that's the kind of thing that we see a lot of in our group is they have these abilities and this kind of organizational skill that they can bring uh, as well as a heart for, for reaching people. And so that's been a neat thing to watch. I'm not good at using them. So that's why I, I need to find better ways. Tom, I'll talk off the air with you. If you got ways to. Oh, sure. You know, yeah. We brainstorm them- <laughs> ideas. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> um, you, you briefly mentioned the, um, uh, the genocide, the Armenian genocide, and, and a lot of non-Armenians aren't as familiar with the history and, and everything that, that took place with that. But, but yeah. it's probably something, I mean, every Armenian family has been impacted in some way, in, in some very serious ways. Um, how do you counsel the Christians in your church to think about it, to respond to it? Some of these issues are still ongoing. So how do you, how do you yeah. counsel your own people to, to work through those issues? Such a great question, Tom. Um, I think the, the key is I encourage them to think about these things as Christians. Mm. And I want them to remember that our identity is in Christ primarily. Mm. Now, certainly we, we have these ethnic, this ethnic diversity. We, uh, many of our people being Armenian, uh, and, and it's okay to be proud of who you are as an Armenian. I don't think there's anything unbiblical about that, but we are Christians first and our loyalty is to Christ. And so we want to look through a Christian lens and think not like an unbeliever who doesn't know a God who is sovereign and who providentially guides and leads, but as one who knows that God and knows that like, like in, in Habakkuk, you know, that we can cry out to that God and even ask questions and mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so don't be afraid to cry out to the Lord and ask why, especially recently in 2021, as you may be aware, there was some more fighting in Armenia. Some of our historic lands again, were being confiscated by mm-hmm. uh, neighboring countries. And so the, 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 the wound was reopened. And so our people were coming again. Well, how do we think about this? And one of the things I, I urge our people to think about is, especially with the genocide, we were persecuted, even if there were economic and political reasons, in many ways, it was, there was a, a, a primary religious kind of focus to the persecution that we endured in the genocide that came. And can't we think in terms of like the, you know, the disciples in, in acts where they rejoice that we could be persecuted for his namesake. Mm, yeah. Um, and, or and you their, think their about, persecution yeah. also led to the diaspora um, right. that led to missions and churches being planted. And yeah. uh, so it, it doesn't mean that it was a good thing, but the results were in God's plan. That's right. The Lord has his ways. And even when we don't understand them, and it, it was interesting, you mentioned that missionary aspect, because I was talking to a, a Baptist missionary um who had been in Russia and then he ended up in Armenia. I'm not sure where he is currently, but I asked him, I said, how, how did you end up in Armenia? You know, from a, some s- Southern church somewhere in the United States. And he had explained that he had been in Russia and he wanted to move to another ministry. And he said that he realized as he was doing some ministry in Russia and Armenians were present, he said, man, because of the genocide, you guys are everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> he said, if I could minister to the Armenians, that truth could get to a lot of places just by virtue mm. of ministering to them. Wow. I said, oh, that's pretty cool to hear yeah. from a non-Armenian that they're thinking strategically in that way. So you're right. And 
And we may not ever understand fully why the Lord allows these types of things to occur to. And it's not just the Armenians. That's why I wish our people would understand. It's not just us, you yourself, uh, Tom, your, your culture's history as well. We're, the world is broken. We're living in a fallen world. There's a mm. lot of suffering. Yeah. Um, so the good news is good news for all of that suffering. Mm. And, and yeah. we need to allow the gospel to do its work. That's good. That's good. So. Um, when, when you think about that good news and you're talking to uh, a fellow Armenian, but maybe one from a Catholic background or an Eastern Orthodox background, uh, is it, is it harder or is it easier? Yeah. And, and how do yeah. you, how do you communicate the gospel to someone who has the same culture, but maybe a different theological or faith Great. background? Yeah. We, we always talk about with, uh, within my circles that it's, almost more difficult to evangelize those who have some Christian background. Mm. Um, in our case, people believe that uh, the Armenian people believe you're Christian by virtue of being Armenian. That, that's just, you know, and, and they baptize infants, you know, and, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. when we don't, you know, in our church, we don't baptize infants. And when we're, we're asked to, you know, wait, then your child, they're not a Christian then like they need to, you know, so there's all these, uh, it's an interesting time to talk through really the, the gospel. Mm. What, what is uh, the saving work of Christ um, and how do we obtain it? Mm. <laughs> it's not by virtue of these sacraments that we perform, uh, but by trusting in the finished work that Christ has done himself mm. and, and trying to teach them grace that's not dispensed by the church, but by God himself in Christ. And so there are times that it's, you're trying to help them to unlearn something before you can reteach them. And sure. so in some ways, the challenge is greater with those who have this background. On the other hand, they do have a sense of the almighty. They have a sense mm -hmm. of awe of a creator, a, the God of the Bible. They have respect in many ways for the Bible, which is interesting. So if you can get them to look at it with you, there's a willingness often to, okay, that's interesting. So yeah, good. There's, there's some truth embedded in all of the yeah. traditions and all the things that they've learned. Oh, that's yeah. good. That's Which is good. one of the, one of the reasons I'm trying to go back now, relearn or learn the classical Armenian language so that I can even bring out, cause I believe from some of the things I've read in English translation, there, mm. there was decent theology going on. And if I can go back to the historic, Armenian church and help them see that yeah. may be a, a useful tool as well. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. All right. Good. Yeah. Good. Um, well, let's, let's come back to the Valley. Um, as you think about the local churches here in the Valley, what are some of the hopes that you have uh, for the local church in the future? Um, we've, we've gone through some hard times. We're yeah. looking at maybe some more hard times, but uh, what are some of the hopes that you have? For the local church, Tom, the, this valley is important, mm. and people here are important. And what I've noticed is so many people wanting to flee California. Mm -hmm. uh, hey, hey, it's too liberal; we can't take it anymore. And and my response is, where is the light more needed mm. than here, where there is a lot of darkness, and there is. Mm -hmm. um, so. To me, that my hope is that people will stay 
will preach Jesus, will love their neighbors well, mm. that we will be known uh, as, you know, the evangelical churches in, in the valley as uh, churches that love people, that stand firm in truth, but serve the community around them. Just kind of like the, the ancient church was known that yeah. we're the ones that are going and rescuing the, the exposed children, right? That's what mm, they were doing. Right, and right. they were known for these things that were honorable. Unfortunately, right now, Tom, we're known for being the, the COVID denying vaccine hating, you know, which again, everyone is welcome to have different positions on it. Right. I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not mm-hmm. trying to argue anything, except that what are we known for? We mm-hmm. need to be known uh, for the gospel. Yeah. And, uh, so that that's my hope for for the valley and for our church and, and our sister churches. Yeah, we we need some modern day Luthers and Athanasiuses. That's right. <laughs> they, they they wouldn't have stood out if everything was easy. So it's it's great. That's right. That we that's have right. this opportunity. Um, yeah. What are some of the challenges though that you think we'll face? Um, you've mentioned some of them, but what are some of those specific challenges that the church is going to see? Yeah, I, I mean. Th- my kids are in, and I don't know if I should admit this, but they're in the public school system. <laughs> um, and, and that's an interesting mm-hmm. situation for them as well as for any other Christians that are in the, in the public school, maybe not at the elementary level as much, but as they get older, junior high, high school, the secularization is great around mm-hmm. us. We know that. And it's not just secularization. It's the, the push toward what we know is immorality and, and ungodliness um, so the challenge is going to be how can we train up our young people to uh, be able to navigate those treacherous waters, mm-hmm. uh, whether at the junior high, high school or college level? Mm-hmm. How do we prepare them so that they're not kind of taken in by the culture, mm-hmm. but they also are not just hating the culture? Yeah. And it's a challenge. Um, so. I think about that a lot. That's one of the great challenges I think we're going to face. How do we prepare and equip our young people mainly, or, or is kind of a main focus, but also the rest of the the, the church family as well? I, I often ask my congregation, "What are you thinking when you're seeing the you're, you're turning on the news and you're seeing the, the immorality and you know being celebrated? Let's say, mm-hmm. are you becoming angry and hate filled?" Or is your heart breaking? Are you praying for them? Do you want to reach them with the gospel? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the challenge is going to be, can we be gospel centered in our attitudes as well? That's good. Yeah, it's it's a much different atmosphere than it was 30 years ago uh, when, when you and I grew <laughs> growing up. So, That's right. Uh, in, in, yeah. um, in, in your time as a pastor, though, what, what have been some of the highlights that you've seen in your ministry uh, what can you boast in Christ about in terms of the church, in terms of the people, in terms of the milestones of Mount Ararat? What have you seen? Uh, I, the, the, the greatest highlights are obviously those who come to know Christ for the first time mm-hmm. in so many different, interesting, unique ways that God and his sovereignty and his electing love just brings people in ways you would never have imagined. Um, and so we've seen... Uh, we've seen folks who just uh, were on, uh, there was one gentleman on Facebook. I don't even know how we had become friends. He had posted something that for some reason it, I thought, you know, I should send him a direct message and 
I don't know who he is, but he's on my Facebook page somehow and just to talk to him. And so somehow we connected. And then I was telling one of my college guys and my college guy said, oh, I know him well. We were classmates in school and mm-hmm. he went after him. Uh, and now this, the Lord had already been working in this guy's life. And somehow our college guy reached out to him and they started uh, interacting. And now this guy is a solid member of the congregation walking wow. with the Lord again. I, the Lord had been working on him in different ways prior to that too, but it's just been neat to see how that mm. comes together. Um, we we are seeing more of a desire to to serve, and I'm grateful for that uh, in our in our congregation. When I see when theology is not for theology's sake, but for for life and ministry, that's a highlight. Because uh, we we do end up being in in our circles, uh, Tom. We we're we want to be theologically accurate and, and we mm-hmm. want it to be deep. And sometimes there's a, a trade-off and we don't want that trade-off. We yeah. want the depth and the life and heart. And, and so we're beginning to see more and more of that. Uh, some mm-hmm. of our guys wanting to yeah. be at the mall evangelizing. And that's a highlight for me. I love it. Yeah. Uh, some of them want to do shopping too, but the others want to do evangelize. <laughs> so it's good. But, right. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, a lot of our um, listeners are going to be Christians from other churches. Um, how would you encourage a Christian in the Valley to pray for your church, to pray for other churches, and to pray for the Valley as a whole? Yeah, for us and probably for the Valley as a whole, I would say pray pray, pray that we not become complacent, mm. that we not give up thinking, hey, oh, this must be the end times, right? Because all this stuff's going on around us. So we must be living in the end. Christ is going to return. So we could just kind of pack it up and and just wait. No, now is the time to, you know, let him find us actively working. Hmm. And so the prayer for our church is that we not be complacent and that we not be lulled to sleep by the 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 comforts that we have around us. And we have many Hmm. look living in Los Angeles is not a very uncomfortable thing. Let's be honest. Hmm. Um, the, the, and so I I want us to spend more of ourselves, uh, to, to love the Lord and our neighbors well. And so that's something I'm I'm praying for and, and would invite people to pray for. And, and same with the, the Valley, I guess, again, go in line with what I wrote on and studied. Somehow I want us to show a visible unity Mm. to the world around us. Mm -hmm. How can we together come together with churches that love Jesus, even when we're not fully in line with one another? How can we show a, a public face of unity because our Lord is one? Mm. Um, I'd be that's something I'm praying for um, and I'd invite others to pray for as well yeah well praise God well we're we're praying for that we're praying for you and for Mount Ararat and it's been a joy to serve alongside of you parallel to your ministry here in the valley and mm-hmm. uh, it's been an encouragement to hear from you on the podcast today so thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for sharing a bit about your Thanks life for and- having me We'll we'll just continue to we'll continue to do ministry together. So thank you. Amen. Hey,